Chapter 9, Part 1 of Famous Stories Every Child Should Know. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines. Famous Stories Every Child Should Know. Edited by Hamilton Wright Maybe. Chapter 9, Part 1 The Nuremberg Stove by Louise de la Rame. Part 1 August lived in a little town called Hall. Hall is a favorite name for several towns in Austria and in Germany, but this one especial little hall in the upper Inthal is one of the most charming old-world places that I know, and August, for his part, did not know any other. It has the green meadows and the great mountains all about it, and the gray-green glacier-fed water rushes by it. It has paved streets and enchanting little shops that have all latticed panes and iron gratings to them. It has a very grand old Gothic church that has the noblest blendings of light and shadow and marble tombs of dead knights and a look of infinite strength and repose as a church should have. Then there is the Munt's Tower, black and white, rising out of greenery and looking down on a long wooden bridge and the broad rapid river and there is an old schloss which has been made into a guardhouse with battlements and frescoes and heraldic devices in gold and colors and a man-at-arms carved in stone standing life-size in his niche and bearing his date fifteen thirty a little farther on but close at hand is a cloister with beautiful marble columns and tombs and a colossal wood-carved calvary and beside that a small and very rich chapel indeed so full is the little town of the undisturbed past that to walk in it is like opening a missal of the middle ages all emblazoned and illuminated with saints and warriors and it is so clean and so still and so noble by reason of its monuments and its historic color that i marvel much no one has ever cared to sing its praises the old pious heroic life of an age at once more restful and more brave than ours still leaves its spirit there and then there is the girdle of the mountains all around and that alone means strength peace and majesty in this little town a few years ago august strela lived with his people in the stone-paved irregular square where the grand church stands he was a small boy of nine years at that time, a chubby-faced little man with rosy cheeks, big hazel eyes, and clusters of curls, the brown of ripe nuts. His mother was dead, his father was poor, and there were many mouths to feed at home. In this country the winters are long and very cold. The whole land lies wrapped in snow for many months, and this night that he was trotting home with a jug of beer in his numb red hands, was terribly cold and dreary the good burghers of hall had shut their double shutters and the few lamps there were flickered dully behind their quaint old-fashioned iron casings the mountains indeed were beautiful all snow-white under the stars that are so big in frost hardly anyone was astir a few good souls wending home from vespers a tired post-boy who blew a shrill blast from his tasseled horn as he pulled up his sledge before a hostelry and little august hugging his jug of beer to his ragged sheepskin coat were all who were abroad 
for the snow fell heavily and the good folks of hall go early to their beds he could not run or he would have spilled the beer he was half frozen and a little frightened but he kept up his courage by saying over and over again to himself i shall soon be home with dear hirschvogel he went on through the streets past the stone men-at-arms of the guard-house and so into the place where the great church was and where near it stood his father karl strehla's house with a sculptured bethlehem over the doorway and the pilgrimage of the three kings painted on its wall he had been sent on a long errand outside the gates in the afternoon over the frozen fields and broad white snow and had been belated and had thought he had heard the wolves behind him at every step and had reached the town in a great state of terror thankful with all his little panting heart to see the oil lamp burning under the first house shrine but he had not forgotten to call for the beer and he carried it carefully now though his hands were so numb that he was afraid they would let the jug down every moment the snow outlined with white every gable and cornice of the beautiful old wooden houses the moonlight shone on the gilded signs the lambs the grapes the eagles and all the quaint devices that hung before the doors covered lamps burned before the nativities and crucifixes painted on the walls or led into the woodwork here and there where a shutter had not been closed a ruddy firelight lit up a homely interior with a noisy band of children clustering round the house mother and a big brown loaf or some gossip spinning and listening to the cobbler's or the barber's story of a neighbor while the oil wicks glimmered and the hearth logs blazed and the chestnuts sputtered in their iron roasting pot little august saw all these things as he saw everything with his two big bright eyes that had such curious lights and shadows in them but he went heedfully on his way for the sake of the beer which a single slip of the foot would make him spill at his knock and call the solid oak door four centuries old of one flew open and the boy darted in with his beer and shouted with all the force of mirthful lungs oh dear hirschvogel but for the thought of you i should have died it was a large barren room into which he rushed with so much pleasure and the bricks were bare and uneven it had a walnut wood press handsome and very old a broad deal table and several wooden stools for all its furniture but at the top of the chamber sending out warmth and colour together as the lamp sheds its rays upon it was a tower of porcelain burnished with all the hues of a king's peacock and a queen's jewels and surmounted with armed figures and shields and flowers of heraldry and a great golden crown upon the highest summit of all it was a stove of fifteen thirty two and on it were the letters h r h for it was in every portion the handwork of the great potter of nuremberg augustine hirschvogel who put his mark thus as all the world knows the stove no doubt had stood in palaces and been made for princes had worn the crimson stockings of cardinals and the gold broidered shoes of archduchesses and glowed in presence chambers and lend its carbon to help kindle sharp brains in anxious councils of state no one knew what it had been or done or been fashioned for but it was a right royal thing yet perhaps it had never been more useful than it was now in this poor desolate room sending down heat and comfort into the troop of children 
tumbled together on a wolfskin at its feet who received frozen august among them with loud shouts of joy oh dear hirschvogel i am so cold so cold said august kissing its gilded lion's claws is father not in dorothea no dear he is late dorothea was a girl of seventeen dark-haired and serious and with a sweet sad face for she had had many cares laid on her shoulders even whilst still a mere baby she was the eldest of the strela family and there were ten of them in all next to her there came jan and karl and otho big lads gaining a little for their own living and then came august who went up into the summer to the high alps with the farmer's cattle but in winter could do nothing to fill his own platter and pot and then all the little ones who could only open their mouths to be fed like young birds albrecht and hilda and waldo and christoph and last of all little three-year-old ermengilda with eyes like forget-me-nots whose birth had cost them the life of their mother they were of that mixed race half austrian half italian so common in the tyrol some of the children were white and golden as lilies others were brown and brilliant as fresh fallen chestnuts the father was a good man but weak and weary with so many to find for and so little to do with he worked at the salt furnaces and by that gained a few florins people said he would have worked better and kept his family more easily if he had not loved his pipe and a draught of ale too well but this had only been said of him after his wife's death when trouble and perplexity had begun to dull a brain never too vigorous and to enfeeble further a character already too yielding as it was the wolf often bayed at the door of the strela household without a wolf from the mountains coming down dorothea was one of those maidens who almost work miracles so far can their industry and care and intelligence make a home sweet and wholesome and a single loaf seem to swell into twenty the children were always clean and happy and the table was seldom without its big pot of soup once a day still very poor they were and dorothea's heart ached with shame for she knew that their father's debts were many for flour and meat and clothing or fuel to feed the big stove they had always enough without cost for their mother's father was alive and sold wood and fir cones and coke and never grudged them to his grandchildren though he grumbled at strela's improvidence and hapless dreamy ways father says we are never to wait for him we will have supper now you have come home dear said dorothea who however she might fret her soul in secret as she knitted their hose and mended their shirts never let her anxieties cast a gloom on the children only to august did she speak a little sometimes because he was so thoughtful and so tender of her always and knew as well as she did that there were troubles about money though these troubles were vague to them both and the debtors were patient and kindly being neighbors all in the old twisting streets between the guardhouse and the river supper was a huge bowl of soup with big slices of brown bread swimming in it and some onions bobbing up and down the bowl was soon emptied by ten wooden spoons and then the three eldest boys slipped off to bed being tired with their rough bodily labor in the snow all day and dorothea drew her spinning wheel by the stove and set it whirring and the little ones got august down upon the old worn wolfskin and clamored to him for a picture or a story 
for August was the artist of the family. He had a piece of planed deal that his father had given him, and some sticks of charcoal, and he would draw a hundred things he had seen in the day, sweeping each out with his elbow when the children had seen enough of it, and sketching another in its stead. Faces and dogs' heads, and men in sledges, and old women in their furs, and pine trees, and cocks, and hens, and all sorts of animals, and now and then, very reverently, a Madonna and child. It was all very rough, for there was no one to teach him anything, but it was all lifelike, and kept the whole troop of children shrieking with laughter, or watching breathless, with wide-open, wondering, odd eyes. They were all so happy. What did they care for the snow outside? Their little bodies were warm, and their hearts merry. Even Dorothea, troubled about the bread for the morrow, laughed as she spun, and August, with all his soul in his work, and little rosy Ermengilda's cheek on his shoulder, glowing after his frozen afternoon, cried out loud, smiling, as he looked up at the stove that was shedding its head down on all of them. Oh, dear Hirschvogel, you were almost as great and good as the sun. No, you are greater and better, I think, because he goes away, nobody knows where, all these long, dark, cold hours, and does not care how people die for want of him. But you, you are always ready, just a little bit of wood to feed you, and you will make a summer for us all the winter through. The grand old stove seemed to smile through all its iridescent surface at the praises of the child. No doubt the stove, though it had known three centuries and more, had known but very little gratitude. It was one of those magnificent stoves enameled fiance which so excited the jealousy of the other potters of Nuremberg that in a body they demanded of the magistracy that Augustin Hirschvogel should be forbidden to make any more of them. The magistracy, happily, proving of a broader mind, and having no sympathy with the wish of the artisans to cripple their greater fellow. It was of great height and breadth, with all the majolica luster which Hirschvogel learned to give to his enamels, when he was making love to the young Venetian girl whom he afterwards married. There was the statue of a king at each corner, modelled with as much force and splendour as his friend Albrecht Dürer could have given them on copper plate or canvas. The body of the stove itself was divided into panels, which had the ages of man painted on them in polychrome. The borders of the panels had roses and holly and laurel and other foliage, and German mottoes in black letter of odd old-world moralizing, such as the old Teutons and the Dutch after them love to have on their chimney-places and their drinking cups, their dishes and flagons. The whole was burnished with gilding in many parts, and was radiant everywhere with that brilliant coloring of which the Hirschvogel family, painters on glass and great in chemistry as they were, were all masters. The stove was a very grand thing, as I say. Possibly Hirschvogel had made it for some mighty lord of the Tyrol at that time when he was an imperial guest at Innsbruck, and fashioned so many things for the Schloss Amras and beautiful Philippine Walzler, the burgher's daughter, who gained an archduke's heart by her beauty and the right to wear his honors by her wit. Nothing was known of the stove at this latter day in Hall. The grandfather, Strela, who had been a master mason, had dug it up out of some ruins where he was building, and finding it without a flaw, had taken it home, 
and only thought it worth finding because it was such a good one to burn. That was now sixty years past, and ever since then the stove had stood in the big, desolate, empty room, warming three generations of the Strela family, and having seen nothing prettier, perhaps, in all its many years than the children tumbled now in a cluster like gathered flowers at its feet. For the Strela children, born to nothing else, were all born to beauty. White or brown, they were equally lovely to look upon, and when they went into the church to mass, with their curling locks and their clasped hands, they stood under the grim statues like cherubs blown down off some fresco. Tell us a story, August, they cried in chorus, when they had seen charcoal pictures till they were tired, and August did as he did every night, pretty nearly, looked up at the stove and told them what he imagined of the many adventures and joys and sorrows of the human being who figured on the panels from his cradle to his grave. To the children the stove was a household god. In summer they laid a mat of fresh moss all around it, and dressed it up with green boughs and the numberless beautiful wild flowers of the Tyrol country. In winter all their joys centered in it, and scampering home from school over the ice and snow, they were happy, knowing that they would soon be cracking nuts or roasting chestnuts in the broad, ardent glow of its noble tower, which rose eight feet high above them, with all its spires and pinnacles and crowns. Once a traveling peddler had told them that the letters on it meant Augustine Hirschvogel, and that Hirschvogel had been a great German potter and painter, like his father before him, in the art-sanctified city of Nuremberg, and had made many such stoves that were all miracles of beauty and of workmanship, putting all his heart and his soul and his faith into his labors, as the men of those earlier ages did, and thinking but little of gold or praise. An old trader, too, who sold curiosities not far from the church, had told August a little more about the brave family of Hirschvogel, whose houses can be seen in Nuremberg to this day, of old Veit, the first of them, who painted the Gothic windows of St. Sebald with the marriage of the Margraven, of his sons and of his grandsons, potters, painters, engravers all, and the chief of them, great Augustine, the Luca della Robbia of the North, and August's imagination, always quick, had made a living personage out of these few records, and saw Hirschvogel as though he were in the flesh, walking up and down the Maximilian Strasse in his visit to Innsbruck, and maturing beautiful things in his brain as he stood on the bridge and gazed on the emerald green flag of the inn. So the stove had got to be called Hirschvogel in the family, as if it were a living creature, and little August was very proud because he had been named after that famous old dead German who had had the genius to make so glorious a thing. All the children loved the stove, but with August the love of it was a passion, and in his secret heart he used to say to him himself, When I am a man, I will make just such things too, and then I will set Hirschvogel in a beautiful room in a house that I will build myself in Innsbruck, just outside the gates, where the chestnuts are by the river. That is what I will do when I am a man. For August, a salt baker's son and a little cowkeeper, when he was anything, was a dreamer of dreams, and when he was upon the high Alps with his cattle, with the stillness and the sky around him, was quite certain that he would live for greater things than driving the herds up when the springtide came among the blue sea of gentians 
or toiling down in the town with wood and with timber as his father and grandfather did every day of their lives he was a strong and healthy little fellow fed on the free mountain air and he was very happy and he loved his family devotedly and was as active as a squirrel and as playful as a hare but he kept his thoughts to himself and some of them went a very long way for a little boy who was only one among many and to whom nobody had ever paid any attention except to teach him his letters and tell him to fear god augustin winter was only a little hungry schoolboy trotting to be catechized by the priest or to bring the loaves from the bakehouse or to carry his father's boots to the cobbler and in summer he was only one of hundreds of cowboys who drove the poor half-blind blinking stumbling cattle ringing their throat bells out into the sweet intoxication of the sudden sunlight and lived up with them in the heights among the alpine roses with only the clouds and the snow summits near but he was always thinking 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 for all that and under his little sheepskin winter coat and his rough hempen summer shirt his heart had as much courage in it as hofer's ever had great hofer who is a household word in all the infall and whom august always reverently remembered when he went to the city of innsbruck and ran out by the foaming watermill and under the wooded height of berg Isel. august lay now in the warmth of the stove and told the children stories his own little brown face growing red with excitement as his imagination glowed to fever heat that human being on the panels who was drawn there as a baby in a cradle as a boy playing among flowers as a lover sighing under a casement as a soldier in the midst of strife as a father with children round him as a weary old blind man on crutches and lastly as a ransomed soul raised up by the angels had always had the most intense interest for august and he had made not one history for him but a thousand he seldom told them the same tale twice he had never seen a story-book in his life his primer and his mass book were all the volumes he had but nature had given him fancy and she is a good fairy that makes up for the want of very many things only alas her wings are so very soon broken poor thing and then she is of no use at all it is time for you all to go to bed children said dorothea looking up from her spinning father is very late tonight. you must not sit up for him oh five minutes more dear dorothea they pleaded and little rosy and golden Armengilda climbed up into her lap. Hirschvogel is so warm, the beds are never so warm as he. Cannot you tell us another tale, August? No, cried August, whose face had lost its light, now that his story had come to an end, and who sat serious, with his hands clasped on his knees, gazing onto the luminous arabesques of the stove. It is only a week to Christmas, he said suddenly grandmother's big cakes chuckled little christoph who was five years old and thought christmas meant a big cake and nothing else what will santa claus find for gilda if she be good murmured dorothea over the child's sunny head for however hard poverty might pinch it could never pinch so tightly that dorothea could not find some wooden toy and some rosy apples to put in her little sister's socks father max has promised me a big goose because i saved the calf's life in june said august 
It was the twentieth time he had told them so that month he was so proud of it. And Aunt Mela will be sure to send us wine and honey and a barrel of flour. She always does, says Albrecht. Their Aunt Mela had a chalet and a little farm over on the green slopes toward Dorf Ampis. I shall go up into the woods and get Hirschvogel's crown, said August. They always crown Hirschvogel for Christmas with pine boughs and ivy and mountain berries. The heat soon withered the crown, but it was part of the religion of the day to them, so much so as it was to cross themselves in church and raise their voices in the O Salutaris Hostia. And they fell chatting of all they would do on the Christmas night, and one little voice piped loud against another's, and they were as happy as though their stockings would be full of golden purses and jeweled toys, and the big goose in the soup pot seemed to them such a meal as kings would envy. In the midst of their chatter and laughter, a blast of frozen air and a spray of driven snow struck like ice through the room and reached them even in the warmth of the old wolf skins and the great stove. It was the door which had opened and let in the cold. It was their father who had come home. The younger children ran joyous to meet him. Dorothea pushed the one wooden armchair of the room to the stove, and August flew to set the jug of beer on a little round table and fill a long clay pipe, for their father was good to them all, and seldom raised his voice in anger, and they had been trained by the mother they had loved to dutifulness and obedience and a watchful affection. End of chapter 9, part 1 Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah.